Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. I'm going to do what every black Zulu preacher does before they preach. And that is uh, just to sing a little bit. Can we do that together quickly? Wahamanati. Oh, Wahamanati. Oh, Wahamanati. Siabo. Wahamanati. Hey, Wahamanati. Hey, Ebunzi Siti wenu ingonya mayesu Sia bonga chesu Gebotina In suchi it says Samayeli runa Watamayali Watamayali runa Realebua Samayali runa Jesua Samaya Lerna, oh, Realebua, Sia Bonga Chase, Sia Bonga Gonyama, Sia Bonga Chase, I bought in her, oh, Sia Bonga Chase, Situano Yangonyama, Sia Bonga Chase. I bought in Wahambanati. Wahambanati. Hey, Wahambanati. 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 Hallelujah. 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 God is good. And all the time. Well, what a wonderful, wonderful privilege to be here at Rooted, at Rooted Fellowship. Um, just so excited to be coming and sharing the word of God with you um, this morning. Um, just... Uh, we, we recently had an eat and run. Praise the Lord. Um, what, what a wonderful time uh, we had with you guys. When Oni told us at the union about the eat and run, I, I boldly told him that we, we're going we're gonna to kill you guys when it comes to food. Like, like, like we, we will destroy you when it comes to... And so, and so y'all came, and I think we did all right. And then when I went out and went to y'all's, y'all's homes, I'm like, yo, 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 yo. <laughs> I want to buy a peg. A lot of people can cook. I'm like, wow. It was such an amazing thing to, especially for us, right? Even for our guys, amen? For them to be exposed and, and just to hang out with you guys at home. I hope we do it next year. Like, we can't wait. We can't wait to do that. It's just amazing time we had with Eat and Run and just fellowshipping together. So exciting, so wonderful to see what God is doing here at Rooted. I recognize a few faces. 
but a lot of the faces I, I still don't recognize, and so this is an amazing, amazing thing. Um, so, yeah, I was just given a, a portion of scripture to preach from, Psalm 119, um, and I understand that you're wrapping this series up on the Word of God, and so, yeah, let's turn our Bibles to Psalm 119. Psalm 119, verses 57 to 64. This is the portion that I'll be preaching from. Psalm 119, verses 57 to 64. So the cool thing about sharing a series together is that other people have done the hard work and they have laid the foundation. They have explained concept and terms. And I just come here and I get to, I get to preach and I don't have to work as hard uh, for me to be able to explain the word, but I, I hope that we can get something out of um, the word here this morning. Um, so the wonderful thing about um, Psalm one one nine is that is that this is this is the word of God. This is the word of God talking about itself. This is somebody who's talking about the Word of God and it's in the Word of God. <laughs> like how crazy, you just drop the mic right there. <laughs> like the Bible is so confident in itself that it can talk about itself and how great it is. Um, it's so amazing to have a book like this. It's not arrogance, it's not pride, it's just that the Word knows what it can do, right? It, it knows what it's capable of doing and that's why it can come here and we can have a meditation, really, of what, of what this, this Bible is about. It's divine poetry in motion. That's, that's what Psalm 119 is. It's divine poetry in motion. This is more like a meditation than it is really um, an instruction as in like an epistle or a narrative. This guy is, oh, did I call him this guy? <laughs> this, I was about to say this dude. The psalmist, let me, let me, let me be spiritual. Uh, the psalmist uh, here is, 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 is meditating about how wonderful it is to know the Word of God. And it's interesting here because out of all the 176 verses, you only have like 14 verses where the psalmist is not really addressing God. Most of the verses, he's actually talking to God. So we're actually gatecrashing on somebody's prayer, prayer life. Like he's praying to God and we get to hear his heart. He's praying to God, and we get to hear how he feels about the Word of God. It's like a bird, you know, uh, outside or inside a room. We are hearing this man's prayer and him pouring out to God. The section we're looking at this morning is around the theme of obedience. It's around the theme of obedience. So I've titled our meditation this morning just three words. Just do it. Just do it. That's the title for this morning's sermon, just to do it. Let's read. Verse 57 to 64. This is the word of the Lord, so let us listen. The Lord is my portion. I have promised to keep your words. I sought your favor with all my heart. Be gracious to me according to your word. I considered my ways and turned my feet to your testimonies. I hastened and did not delay to keep your commandments. The cords of the wicked have encircled me, but I have not forgotten your law. At midnight, I shall rise to give thanks to you because of your righteous ordinances. 
I am a companion of all of those who fear you and of those who keep your precepts. The earth is full of your loving kindness, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. Teach me your statutes. Just for the sake of my own soul, if we could just pray again for the blessing of the preaching of the word. Lord, as we are reading here, we are reading your word. Um, this is such an important topic. It's, it's so monumental. It, it's such a pivotal topic. It's, 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 it plays such an important role in our lives. And I'm mindful, oh God, even of my own failings as I, as I um, preach your word. And so we ask for that, that you open our eyes that we might see wonderful things from your law. Help us to see amazing things, Lord. If there's somebody who came in here this morning who maybe didn't feel like coming or was challenged this week and, and they had a different space, I, I just pray, Lord, that you would supernaturally open their eyes because if you don't do that, Lord, then we're really just playing. We need you to come and open our eyes that we may see amazing things, things that didn't make sense before, but because of your Holy Spirit that we may live here just being amazed and impressed at you again. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, the Word of God was always meant to be practiced, not just to be listened to and admired. The Word was never meant to be treated like a talk show host, where we tune in and listen to the latest news and views and opinions and what that host thinks. The Word of God has a deeper purpose than that. The Word of God makes radical claims about what it can do and expects those who regularly read it to apply its message in their lives. The book is unlike any other message that you've ever read. And it's not like a newspaper where it simply updates you on the latest information in the world. The book expects radical things from those who read it and want and experience the truth of the message that is giving. This may sound simple. This may sound simple, but it's important for us to remember why the Bible is different from other sources of information out there. We have to differentiate the Bible from the other sources of information that we're getting out there. Most of you probably have access to Facebook, to, to YouTube, and you know, to Google and all those um, mediums. All mediums are bringing us information every day today, isn't it? Everybody is telling us something about what they think is important. Some information is true, some information is false, and frankly, some information is irrelevant. But the Bible gets thrown in there with all these mediums of information without us understanding and appreciating the uniqueness and purpose of the Bible. And if we don't understand that, the Bible could lose its relevance in our lives because we put it on the same level of the other stuff that's coming at us at 160 kilometers per hour. We are dealing with a book that does not just want to inform us about what we don't know. It doesn't seek to entertain us. It's not just giving us another opinion. This book has an agenda. This book has an agenda. It wants to transform and conform us to the likeness of Christ. When we come to the Bible, we're dealing with absolute authority. That's what we're dealing with, absolute authority. This is something I have to remind myself on a daily basis when I come to this book. I want to be changed, right? 
I want to I wanna, I wanna look more and more like Jesus. I don't just want to know more about the Bible and theology. I don't want just to read the Bible so I can know more. I don't just want to know more even principles about good living, though those are important. I want to encounter a living person and be changing my heart to look like that person more and more. I think this is the burden of today's section. It is for us to appreciate that the Bible is supposed to change us. The Bible is supposed to change us. If I can try to summarize the previous sections of what the psalmist was saying before he got to this, um, at one point, I would summarize it this way. The psalmist was saying, Lord, teach me your word. Lord, teach me your word. In, in verses like 119 verse 18, open my eyes that I may behold wonderful things from your law. Teach me, O Lord, the way of your statutes, and I shall observe it to the end. Give me understanding that I may observe your law and keep it with all my heart. Make me walk in the path of your commandments, for I delight in it. He's crying for the Lord to teach him his laws and his statutes. The psalmist wants to understand and see amazing truths from God's word, but guess what? He needs God to open up his eyes even for that to happen. He can't even experience the beauty of God's word without God himself opening up his eyes. If I was to summarize another truth that the psalmist has been saying up until now, he was saying, I'm facing opposition from those who do not care about your word, but your word is my comfort. Your word is my comfort. He says it in verses like 119.51, The arrogant utterly deride me. Yet I do not turn aside from your law. And another point he's saying, your word helps me from sinning. Your word helps me from sinning. Like sin is so great that I need the Bible to keep me from sinning. Your word I've treasured in my heart that I may not sin against you. In the portion that we're in, the psalmist is testifying how the word of God helped him when he observed and practiced it. It's how the word of God helped him when he actually kept it and observed it. This is a testimony of someone who practices the word and how it helps him. Look at the kind of words he uses. Verse 57. I have promised to keep your words. Verse 59. I considered my ways and turned my feet to your testimonies. Verse 60. I hasten and do not delay to keep your commandments. At midnight I shall rise to give thanks to you. Verse 63. I am companion of those who fear you and of those who keep your precepts. This is the person who has kept the word and has lived to testify about it. Just before we get into our text, I just want us to make a general observation. Just before we get into it. You will experience the blessing of the word when you practice it. You will experience... The blessing of the word when you practice it. See, when you initially come to faith in Christ, you're introduced to the word, you know, you're really excited about it, and you know, you're taught about Christ, you're taught about the first elements of the faith, you know, um, you become very excited, then you, you, you actually can't put the word of God down, isn't it? You know, when you're going out to, to the store, or whenever a thought comes to mind that is unlike Christ, immediately you are convicted, you're like, why did I think that? You think you're the worst sinner ever. The word of God plays a very central place in your life. But as time goes on, 
and you sit under the word of God, it's possible that you get familiar. You get familiar with Christian concepts. And the danger becomes that you can think that you know it and no longer put effort into practicing it. We can think that we know this book and we're no longer practicing it. We're no longer putting effort the same way that we used to do. You begin to judge your spiritual maturity by how much you know and not what you're putting into practice. This is the danger we're facing, especially in our circles, to put our trust in what we know and not what we're putting into practice. Keeping the word is a lifelong reality for whoever calls themselves a Christian. We never graduate from practicing or keeping the word. You can never outgrow obedience. Like there's no, there's no university of those who have outgrown obedience and now they have the right to be mean to others in the name of the truth, you know. It's like, no, we, know, we, we don't have to be nice, we don't have to be loving, we don't have to be patient. But in the name of the truth, we just have to be mean. And we're no longer practicing the basics of the faith. No matter how long you've been saved, many books you've read, you're in leadership or you're not, keeping the word is what we're all supposed to be doing. That's just Christianity 101. We're supposed to be all practicing and observing the word. I mean, y'all are, are football supporters here. Yeah? I know there's Arsenal supporters. Um, sorry for that. <laughs> um, I know there's Man City supporters. I know there's... Uh-huh. Because of the money, I know. But, am I okay? I know there's Man United supporters. Y'all are going through a difficult time right now. (laughs) But what makes great players great is not that they've reached a stage where they no longer practice the basis of football, right? You know that. What makes them great is that they have so mastered the basics that they are free to do what they want on the football pitch. And so as a growing Christian, once we've made the habit of waking up early and reading our Bibles, prioritizing meeting with other believers, once you're serving and growing in maturity, you are then free to start growing in other areas of the Christian life. You're free to grow in love. You're free to grow in respect. You're free to grow in prayer. You're free to grow in in purity. But one thing that is for sure is that we're all supposed to be observing and practicing the word. So this is where we're going this morning. Uh, Two truths on keeping the word. Two truths um, on keeping the word. One, keeping the word starts with knowing God. Keeping the word starts with knowing God. We'll see that from the text. And secondly, keeping the word is to be reflected in the ordinary daily circumstances we face in our lives. Keeping the word starts with knowing God. And keeping the word is to be reflected in ordinary circumstances in our life. Firstly, keeping the word starts with knowing God. Look at how it starts. The Lord is my portion. I love that. What a wonderful thing to say. The Lord is my portion. This this is the reference back to the Levites. Uh, In the promised land, the Levites were not given an inheritance like the other nations. But God was to be their portion. God was to be their portion. So Numbers 18.20 says, Then the Lord said to Aaron, You shall have no inheritance in their land, nor own any portion among them. I am your portion and your inheritance among the sons of Israel. 
The Levites were given the privilege of serving in the temple and administering the offerings and offering prayers on behalf of the people. So the Lord God was their inheritance. This is not unique to the psalmist here. Jeremiah used it when he wrote Lamentation and he was experiencing the destruction that he had prophesied many years would happen. When it finally happened, he was so devastated. He was discouraged. He was depressed to find, and he had to find comfort somewhere else. And he found comfort in his Lord. Lamentations 3, 19 to 26. Surely my soul remembers and is bowed down within me. This I recall to mind, therefore I have hope. The Lord's loving kindness indeed never cease, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. And here's the verse, verse 24. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Speaking to his soul now, saying the Lord is my portion, therefore I have hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him. When he has lost hope in everything, guess where he finds his hope? He finds his hope in God. He finds his hope in the character of God's goodness and compassion. We can't talk about keeping the word without talking about God first. What a beautiful thing to say, the Lord is my portion. If I have God, I have everything. If I have God, if God doesn't bless me with another car, if God doesn't do anything else in my life, guess what? I have everything because the Lord is my portion. That's something you really have to believe. It's easier for me to say. Like Jeremiah, if the bottom drops out and the worst disaster that you've never could happen happens to you, you will need to believe that the Lord is my portion. If what happens to you is like what happened, what I heard this past week of a pastor friend of mine whose wife just left him and just decided to leave the marriage and go and he's from Zimbabwe and come here to South Africa just because she was not happy living with the, the husband's, you know, mother-in-law. That kind of stuff happens when the bottom drops out. Now he has to think about his ministry. He has, to, he has to think about the kids. It reorients him. It changes everything that he thought was true. We have to know that the Lord is our portion at that moment. If we start with obedience before we appreciate this, then God can become someone we use for our own comfort and well-being. As long as he's delivering the goods and making my life what I want it to be, we're good with God. But God forbid that God allows a terrible event to happen in your life and you get yourself in a hole that you can't seem to get out of, where money, connection, friends can't help you. This is where the phrase, the Lord is my portion, comes in. This is where you appreciate God for being God. Hence, I'm saying obedience starts with knowing God. Whatever we're going to do from now on in obeying this God starts with him being our portion. It starts with him being our God. We have to be able to say that, that I know him for myself. He's my portion. Because even the word that we must keep, in some, it's not some random word separated from God. It's the word of God. Look at, look at the text. Be gracious to me according to your word. And turn my feet to your, to your testimonies. But I have not forgotten your law. And of those who, I am a friend of those who keep your precepts. 
So the word of God is connected to who God is. And us obeying or keeping this word starts with us knowing God. We cannot attempt to keep God's word without knowing the God of the word. When you have a relationship with God, he enables you to be able to keep his word. Otherwise, if we attempt to obey God without knowing him, we're going to treat God's word like it's just another book, as I stated earlier. We're going to think that the purpose of this book is to give us advice or to validate our lifestyles that we have ourselves have chosen. When in actual fact, the word of God starts with encountering God first and then asking the question, now what must I do now? Now that you have saved me, now that you have changed me, what must I do? Have you had an encounter with God? Have you had an encounter with God? Has God done such a work in your heart that you now hate the sin that you used to love? Say that again. Has God done such a work in your heart that you now hate the sin that you used to love? Has he changed you so that your heart not only tolerates his law, but your heart actually wants to obey? Your heart desires to obey him. It's a beautiful thing to be able to say, the Lord is my portion. I love that. I remember being concerned about, you know, my kids. Um, Just recovering from the fact that I'm a dad. Three years later, I'm still recovering. Um, (laughs) For some of us, the pill takes long, you know, too. Um, But I look at my kids, man. I'm like, man, I'm a dad. These these little ones look at me like I I know everything. And they're going to grow up. And I'm looking at my surroundings. I'm looking at what kids are becoming. I'm looking at where they came from. Like, a lot of kids came from good homes, but somehow something went wrong, even when they came from good homes. And so it used to bother me, this, this question of, what must I do for my kids to be right? What must I do for them? What must I teach them so that they can walk on the straight and narrow? And so I attended a conference um, about how to be a good husband and how to raise your kids in a godly home and stuff. And they were talking, they were talking. I remember the Q&A. I sat there and I asked the question. I said, what must I do to make sure that my kids don't turn out bad, that they don't make a decision that it's going to take them so far that actually it's, it's now too late to return? And I'll never forget what one of my professors told me. He said, you don't have that guarantee. You can put laws, you can put boundaries, you can, you, you can do that. All of that is good, but there's not that guarantee. Behavior is taken care of once a child has a relationship with Jesus themselves. He says, before Jesus, you, you can try to manipulate. You can try to threaten a child. But once a child gets to know Jesus, then the issue of motivation is taken care of. And suddenly the child wants to do right. He's broken by sin. He wants to obey. And my job becomes reminding the child of who God is and showing him his character. And so that changes radically how you think about parenting. That, that's like, that has huge implication on how you parent child. But it's the same with us. It's the same with us. As long as you're trying to be a good person and to keep the rules to make God happy, 
law, precept, word, commandment, all these words we're hearing here are bad words because it feels like someone is trying to make you do what you don't want to do. It feels like somebody is trying to force you to be what you actually in your heart you don't want to do. But as soon as Jesus changes your heart and he gives you his Holy Spirit and he lives in you, you still have to obey, but the motivation changes. The motivation changes. You want to obey. You want to please God. You desire to change. It's not like a camel, you know, that is taken to the river and you're making it do what it doesn't want to do. It's like a sheep who trusts their shepherd and who goes wherever their shepherd tells them to go. So keeping the word starts with knowing God. Keeping the word starts with us having a relationship with Jesus. Once we know God, we don't stop keeping the word. Keeping the word becomes a reflection of those who truly know God. Which leads us to our second point. Keeping the word is to be reflected in the ordinary daily circumstances we face in our lives. Obedience or keeping the word is not a mystical you know, term on the mountain um, experience that you, know, you need to have for you to be able to keep the word. It's a daily intentional commitment to apply the word of God in our lives. It's a daily, it's daily, it's a daily shutting off that alarm and saying, I need to wake up. I need to wake up to come to church. I need to wake up to read my Bible. I need to go to see the group again. Like it's a daily and it's a commitment. It's a commitment to apply the word of God in our lives. Look at what he says in verse 59. I considered my ways and turned my feet to your testimonies. There is a discipline with the psalmist to think about his life and consider his ways. After God saves you, he becomes your portion. You're no longer happy to live the way that you want to live. You are you're at peace, but you're always examining yourself against the word to see if there's any ways that are not in line with the gospel. The psalmist, he, he, psalmist says here, he turned his feet to God's testimony. He turned his feet to God's testimony, which is another synonym for law, really. But specifically here, the idea here is, 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 is the Lord's witness, God's declaration of truth. That's the idea of testimony. Paul calls the gospel in the New Testament the testimony of God. It's the testimony of God. This is God's declaration of what is true. The psalmist compares his ways to God's ways. He looks at his life, and it doesn't say he turned his head. It doesn't say he turned his hands, but his feet to God's testimonies. This brother is not looking to argue or defend himself or his lifestyle when he reads the word. He's intentionally looking to God's testimony so he can practice what God says. He's convinced already that the word of God is right. He's convinced already that the word of God is smarter than he is. He's convinced already that the word of God is what he needs to grow. So he turns to it in order to practice it, in order for him to do what is right. He says, I hasten, verse 60, and did not delay to keep your commandments. Remembering Genesis chapter 22 with Abraham sacrificing his son Isaac and the, the, the text I mean, God tells Abraham to go and sacrifice his son Isaac. 
The Bible says he rose early in the morning, took his donkey, his young man, and Isaac, and went off to the mountain to sacrifice his son. I mean, if, 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 if I was told to sacrifice my son, I, 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 mean, I know I've got to do it, but I'll take my time, you know, like, uh, let's, just, let's just, maybe he can change his mind, and let's just, let's just wake up, and let's just take our time, you know, you know, spend some time with your kid, you know, I don't know, uh, go hunting and whatever you do. <laughs> Baba says, early in the morning, <laughs> sometimes we read the Bible like it's early in the morning. Just after he was told, he takes his donkey, takes his people, his, his, his sons, and he goes and sacrifices Isaac. Hebrews gives us a bit of insight into what was happening with Abraham. He says, by faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promise was offering up his only begotten son. It was he to whom it was said, in Isaac your descendants shall be called. Here's the secret. He considered that God is able to raise people even from the dead, from which he also received him back as a type. He had to know something about God. He had to be in relationship with God to be able to do such a radical thing. When you know God and are convinced of who he is, obedience is not that difficult. Obedience is not that difficult. In fact, 1 John says his commandments are not burdensome. They're burdensome because we want to do our own will. They're burdensome because we are not set, we are not hastening, we are not rushing to obey the commandment of God. We struggle to obey because when we consider our ways and the testimonies of God, which are all born from His character, we don't trust that God has our back or that He knows what He's doing with our lives. God does not just require us to obey so that He can get some some, some joy from hurting us. God knows that obedience is what will ultimately make us satisfied. Our ways will not lead to happiness. We need to consider God's testimonies for us to be truly happy. Have you ever sat down and considered the question, is the way that I'm living my life pleasing to the Lord? Is the decision that I'm about to make going to please God or going to please men? He says here in verse 61, the cause of the wicked have encircled me, but I have not forgotten your law. At midnight I shall rise to give thanks to you because of your righteous ordinances. This is quite a popular way that the psalmist explains here what he was going through. And it speaks to the reality that when you get ready to be serious about applying the word in your life, you will get opposition. Talk about when you get serious, like when you really like, I'm done messing around. I'm, I want to obey God. When you get ready to do that, expect opposition. As long as you play in church, living a double life, you don't get you don't get opposition because you're trying to please everybody. But as soon as you say, I'm making a decision to please God. And no longer living for my friends or even my family at times. As soon as you make that decision, be assured you will encounter opposition. Keeping the word of God comes at a price. It comes at a price. There's certain people you might, not, you might have to stop hanging around with if you want to be serious 
about the word. You love them. You love them. We don't condemn them. But you realize that if you continue hanging out with them, it's going to hinder your obedience to God. Here he says the cause of the wicked. The wicked here in context are defined as those who refuse to keep the word of God. So we have a difficult robe to walk as Christians. We, we must reach out to those who don't know Christ, but at the same time it must not come at the expense of influencing us not to be obedient to God. Look at what he says. I am a companion, verse 63, of those who fear you and of those who keep your precepts. I am a companion of those who fear you. You have to be ruthless against whatever thing that causes you not to walk in obedience to God. Are you serious about obeying God? Are you serious about it? Is it a priority for you? I have to be honest with you. I'm reading, as I'm reading this, this, this is a very long psalm, right? Like 119. I'm reading all the standards. I'm listening to what other guys have been preaching before me. And this man's testimony, this man's meditation, this man's understanding of the word, the way he thinks about the word, the way he goes to the word, I'm like, this is not, this is not a reality in my life. I, have to, I mean, I have to just come in contact with this. I'm like, man, I mean, it's either, it's either this guy is crazy or... But, but you, do, you do hear the way he's talking about the word, right? Like the word is, is a, a big deal in this man's life. And so too many of us, the word is just a guide we go to when we're in trouble. We just go there when we're in trouble. But do you run to the gospel when someone offends you? Do you run to the word when someone offends you? When your children get sick? When your husband starts messing around and goes crazy? Speaking from experience. When life gets busy, do we run to the Word? I find that when I'm in the Word and I make it a priority in my mind, my perception of things is much more sober. When I get away from it, it's only a couple of days and my wife, after realizing that I haven't been in the Word, has to look at me and ask me that so famous question. Have you read your Bible? I think you need to go in the corner there and do what you have to do. And I will be embarrassed and be like, yeah, I haven't been in the Word for some time. Or if I've been in the Word, then the other question becomes, you're not practicing then what you are reading. You need to practice what you're reading. Because if I'm reading the Word, I have to be more patient with my kids. If I'm reading the Word, I wouldn't be complaining as much. If I'm in the Word... I would be making her a priority instead of trying to fill my time and fill my life with other things. The way that she knows that and others know that we are Christians is when we're keeping the word and living out the gospel in everyday circumstances in our lives. I, I see that with this man. He's, he's running to the word when he's in trouble. He's running to the word when he's examining himself. The word plays a central role in his life. But it would be impossible for me in my own strength to try and pull off being the perfect obedient Christian, being the perfect father, being the perfect husband. 
I thank God that I don't have to be perfect, right? Before God accepts me. Amen? I don't have to have it all together. Rather, I strive to be obedient from the posture of being accepted by God. Because God has accepted me, therefore I want to obey. Therefore I want to keep his word. And so God saw that and that's why Jesus is the one who obeyed it all. Because somebody had to obey perfectly. Somebody had to keep the law. Somebody had to please God. And Jesus pleased God perfectly. Hebrews 8, as I close, 10 to 12. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their minds and I will write them on their hearts and I will be their God. And they shall be my people. And they shall not teach everyone his fellow citizen and everyone his brother saying, Know the Lord, for all will know me from the least to the greatest of them. For I will be merciful to their iniquities and I will remember their sins no more. This is the author of Hebrews arguing that the new covenant we have with Jesus is better than the old one. It is only because God was merciful to us that we can teach others the law of God. That we can ourselves, we can obey the word because of Jesus. If you think about what was to be done in the Old Testament about those who disobeyed, I think most of us would, not, would be so discouraged to become Christians. But because of Christ, right? Because of Christ, we have a person who absorbed all the anger of God for our disobedience so that God does not destroy us for not keeping his word. We look to Jesus who was our perfect substitute. Even as we fail, even as we strive and get up, we're not looking to some rule book. We're looking to Jesus to obey. If we break our promise, because, Jesus, because of Jesus, we're not condemned. It's not game over for us. It's time for us to look to him for strength and to be obedient again. When we are emphasizing keeping God's word, we are not emphasizing something outside of the gospel. We are, we are not talking about legalism, meaning obeying God so that he can accept us. So don't leave here. If, 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 if maybe you, you're not a Christian or, or maybe... This sounds to you like, oh, it sounds like I just have to be good enough. I have to try better. That's not what we're saying. We are talking about the gospel. We're still talking about the gospel. The gospel that we believe is so powerful, so life-changing, that it will not leave us the same way it found us. It will make changes in our lives. It will affect relationships. It will affect how we deal with tragedy and loss. It will affect how we view our own life. The gospel comes and it makes changes. That's what we're saying. And our response can only be one. Just do what it says. Let's just do what it says. After God has saved us, given us his Holy Spirit, and given us Jesus as our substitute, we just have to do it. We just have to obey. Let's pray. Um, Lord, we thank you this morning again for um, 
uh, being our substitute. Thank you that you obeyed the law perfectly. Thank you, Baba, that um, even in our disobedience, even at times when we miss it, I thank you that it, it's not strike three. It, it's a, we're not out because we're not trying to please you or get your acceptance. Rather, we just, Father, just trying, oh Lord, to, to live out what you've already done in our hearts. You've already given us Christ. You've already obeyed the law on our behalf and you're calling us. You're saying, go out and um, go out and obey. Go out and be holy. And so, Lord, we are so thankful that you, first of all, saved us. You didn't just say, go out there and s good luck and see if you can make it. But you actually saved us first and you gave us the power to obey. You gave us, oh Lord, your spirit. You, you changed our stony hearts. Gave us new hearts of flesh, hearts that love, that want to please you. And after that, Lord, you're calling us to obey. You're calling us to live lives that are worthy of the gospel. And I pray that, O oh Lord, um, for those, O oh Father, who know you, that, God, we would be very passionate about obedience. As much passionate as we are about the gospel, we would be passionate about obeying and doing what it says. For those, Father, who don't have a relationship with you, I just, I just want to pray for their hearts this morning that it would change their hearts. May, may, may the penny drop, O oh, oh, oh Lord, this morning that no matter what we can try to do, we can never ever do enough to, to earn your acceptance. It's only because of Jesus, only because of his sacrifice that we are accepted, that we can never truly be free. And I pray for them, their heart, that, oh Lord, um, you would open their eyes, that they would see the beauty of the law, that the law was not meant to strangle us. The law was not meant... Oh God, to keep us religious. The law is a beautiful thing if they know you, Lord. And I pray for them, Lord, that you change them, that you would, you would show them Jesus, that they would see the, the beauty of Jesus, the beauty of the gospel. Even, Father, as um, we pray, thank you. Thank you for what you're doing um, here at Rooted. Thank you for many of those, oh God, that we are just seeing the growth. We're just seeing people... Um, going from glory to glory spiritually and um, loving the lost, loving you. And we pray that you continually um, add to your church and um, cause the world to see the wonder, the beauty um, of the church. In Jesus' name, amen.